0: Hi, today's April 21st, 2023, and I'm honored to have with me Mark Cengizzi. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, your accomplishments?
1: Hey there, great to be here, Uh, Randall. Well, I mean, a short background, I'm a physics math kid, physics math undergrad, you know, which I did to answer the questions of the universe, which has always been my aim to life, and then went on uh, for a PhD in math. And still, the idea was to do all of that stuff, not because I was per se interested in math, which is sort of just a bunch of talk and vacuous truths, but those are the tools that you need to study consciousness and why all these creatures have the, you know, why we have the most intelligent, uh, interesting creatures in biological design and culture and and a lot of the really fun, wispy stuff, but I needed to have a firm, rigorous foundation in computer science, theory of computation, mathematical logic, and mathematics, as well as physics. In fact, even my high school essay describes it as such. I'm going to go on and get physics, math, computer science, so that I can one day, answer the question of the universe, including... Con- I never did work on consciousness. I, I think it's a, it's a pseudo problem. There's kind of a, a, a category mistake of some kind. But anyway, that's what I was saying back in high school. And so that's really the kind of... I'm really more of like a philosopher scientist. My heroes were, you know, Quine and Carnap and Hilary Putnam and Bertrand Russell, uh, uh, Turing and Van Neumann, these sorts of folks, which are went from field to field and ha- were able to make impacts uh, in part because they were not constrained to one field and in part because they had these wide-ranging rigorous tools at their disposal. And so that's the kind of person that I've always tried to aim uh, the the sorts of folks that I've tried to be inspired by.
0: Well, that's excellent. You know, so I I consider that a Renaissance man. I, you know, I have had similar aspirations. So we uh, come up in slightly different eras, Um, but uh, you know, I was a chemistry and physics major, I'm a physician. And so, you know, I've kind of felt as if I've, you know, at least understood some aspects of the physical um, underpinnings of the, the, the logic, the science, the mathematics behind, uh, you know, groupings and, and aggregations and the universe and, you know, molecules and so forth, but also you have to understand human interactions. You know, you can understand the molecule very well and still not get somebody's personality disorder. Uh, And, and, and the latter might affect your, your life more than the former, especially if you get into altercation and so forth. Um, uh, the one one question I have, I mean, I, I read some Bertrand Russell um, in college, and I was an admirer because he was a physicist, and I thought he was you know spouting interesting things at the time. But I was young. Uh, I'm not as much of a Bertrand Russell fan uh, now. And I also wonder about the 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 possible what I call the Linus Pauling um, uh, exception to the Renaissance man uh, aspect, which is you know he was a, a, a double Nobel um, uh, Prize winner, I think, in medicine and in chemistry. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, but then he did this vitamin C thing. He's kind of like, you know, got over his, got ahead of his skis and, and, uh, or bowling in the wrong lane or whatever. And I think there are some issues we see where, um, people expand their expertise beyond their own, uh, areas. And, and we were mentioning a little bit of, of, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, and, and kind of his science prop, um, I guess, uh a background, whether it really applied to the epidemic, for instance, um, and whether there's miscategorization, what you call a category error or category mistake in, in applying consensus um, to uh, science be, because it's in this realm more social. Anyway, that's kind of a packed, loaded question. Uh, but maybe we could start with, um, well, any any aspect of that, whether you want to touch on, on, on Neil deGrasse Tyson or any of th- the other things I mentioned.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, so what you're pointing to is this idea that Neil deGrasse Tyson, for those that didn't see it, was uh, on a show that I didn't really know well a lot of people know the show show and i can't remember the, the 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 show's name but he was being you know pushed like why were you arguing uh and trying to shut down op- opposing points of view uh, about various aspects of the interventions and he he just kept responding well there was the consensus of the experts it was the expert consensus and uh, there's a number of, of of steps wrong with this first of all there's we can't be presumed we can't even presume that he had any consensus because he's of course sitting in a group think. Uh and so, of course, all the folks that he was connected to in his sort of collective hysteria that got going in March of 2020, of course, they all typically believe that he was part of that very network. So his own sampling of what m- amounts to consensus is almost a tautology that it's going to seem like consensus because he's not reaching out of his of his uh, groupthink. Um, secondly, even if there was consensus, it's, it's a terrible argument. If you start to favor uh, positions or amplify positions that are consensus and de-amplify or censor non-consensus viewpoints, that just creates a positive feedback loop where if you've got 50.1% consensus, then that gives you some small reason to push down you know, the, the anti-consensus and to raise the consensus. And then you're at 50.5%, which gives you even more reason and so forth. So this snowballs uh, in, into a full 100% groupthink. So that's a, t- a terrible idea, and of course we can go through lots of examples. And as a scientist, I'm good at overturning consensus. That's you know all of my discoveries are. And in fact, I usually only aimed for a field where I thought, yeah, I, they're all wrong, and it's only fun to do this because they're wrong. Uh, right. Well, I, I t-
0: sorry to break in, but but literally that's the title of my book. We'll get to this later, but my book is overturning Zika, and. Yeah. You know, Zika microcephaly is is science, as it were, and it, it's it's a billion-dollar industry and in research and all that kind of stuff, and everyone knows it's real. The CDC, the WHO, they got pamphlets, they keep warning women, uh, blah, blah, blah. But it hasn't recurred as microcephaly. Zika is real and microcephaly is a real thing. So those are two real things, you know, but but there are real things in my room. There's a, a flashlight over there and there's a tennis racket over there, but the flashlight doesn't have any impact on the tennis racket. You know, they're just they're they're both real, that one has nothing to do with the other. Right. And and uh, so literally, that, I, that is the title of my book. I, I played with a number of different titles, but overturning is one of those fun things. Debunking, um, yep. probably a clunkier word, but you know, that, that is kind of my personal chew toy, <laughs> as people yeah. around me know. Um, it's like you, know, you have to kind of put things through a couple different lenses and prisms in order to, to figure out what it is. And, and you're absolutely right about the consensus uh, fallacy. You know, especially you know, we, you you had an article which I gonna like to touch on, uh, where you um, channel Václav Havel, the former dissident, then fortunately uh, president of of Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia at the time. Now it's Czechia and where, but but he couldn't have been president if he hadn't been um, the dissident, and and he couldn't have been president of anything under the Soviets if he the Soviet if he hadn't helped break the Soviets, and uh, you know there was a sprog- Prague Spring but then it became, you know, right after that, uh, you know, they went backwards into winter before they got summer. And, you know, so uh, th- this concept of, of, of in the Soviet and totalitarian thought um, is that you can't have things that are outside the consensus. And we've arrived at this, this concept, you know, Newton was outside the consensus. Einstein was outside the consensus, you know, any, any good, um, you know, Jesus frankly was, was outside the consensus. And, and you know that that doesn't mean you you have a nice easy life out of it. Socrates, you know, died being out of the consensus, um, and and so forth. And you you know, I mean, hopefully we all you know, I mean, martyrdom sounds great in a way, you know, a few hundred years from now. But we, none of us in the moment want to be martyred by yeah. it, and and certainly some of us have. So there's been this kind of totalitarian aspect. Um, I'm wondering what. What your experience has been, you know, these last few years of of you know a term that was only used in prison uh, lockdowns applied to society of of you know ostensibly entirely healthy people aside from the few affected.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I just wanted in terms of consensus. Just before we leave that, we're not really ever leaving that. And sort of it's all wrapped up in this mainstream narrative that got developed in March of 2020. But yeah, you know, there is an intuition that that consensus taps into which is right and that intuition is that um, we have you know a mistaken thought well there's let's say there's a hundred scientists in the field and if they were independent scientists like sitting in their own lab on some island never having communicated with anybody else and 99 out of the hundred all came to some particular conclusion independently now you've got a really statistically independent sample right? That would be actually data of some kind. Mm-hmm. These were in, but of course that's never the case. So they're mistakenly imagining this consensus is like typical in random, you know, independent data, uh, and it's not at all like that. Um, it's 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 just as likely to be. It's basically one big data point, um, and it just happens to be a big one. But it's still one little dot on on the page, and uh, and yeah. I mean, how does this all connect? I mean. We'll get back to mainstream narratives and and narratives and what they mean and how they don't go away and how this connects to totalitarianism and to lockdowns. But indeed, I mean, in March 10th was my first tweet and I could already tell something was way off. We were heading down into uh, mass hysteria um, and. In, which was, you know, was, I was hinting at that first day, like there's the IFR doesn't seem to, I didn't even know the difference between infection fatality rate and case fatality at that rate. I didn't, I hadn't quite cottoned onto this, but I could sell whatever numbers they're saying are going to be so much higher than the real numbers, because they're only getting the folks that are showing up at the hospital. You just, that means there's tons and tons of cases that no one's measured in terms of the, deno- the denominator. And so I was just, you know, I was putting out publications like this. In fact, I was able at that time to recite bbc and abc news and they were had not gone overboard they were just actually publishing actual uh numbers that were calming but a few you know even a week later things had really flipped and at that point business insider was publishing side-by-sides of flu and covid but it was flu infection fatality rate with little bars you know like just little little bars as a function of demographics and then case fatality rate, which is the chances of you dying if you've already showed up to the hospital for COVID. And so these numbers are like really big kind of in little tweaky, little teeny numbers down here, but they're comparing apples and oranges, right? They're totally different things. And so you've got a 10, 20 factor difference. And so this, is, this was what was even presented in the Senate hearings on March 11th, right? So these things spread throughout the culture within you know, you know, the average person on the street thought that 9% of the United States population was dead by summer. The average <laughs> respondent actually estimated that 9% of the population was already dead of COVID. Well, they, they might have meant brain dead, but... <laughs> yeah, The average respondent in, in Australia thought that the infection fatality rate was 38%, right? Right. It's not 3.8%. It's not even 0.38%, right? Yeah. It's like 0.09%. Uh, if you're seventy or, or or under, right? So the the it was astronomical over exaggerations of the harms, um, a complete uh, zeroing out of all of the knowledge that we have of respiratory viruses, which I was really coming to know. I always thought this was the most boring field ever. I wasn't interested per se, but um everything that we knew about respiratory viruses and seasonality and uh, acquired immunity, all of these things, because it was entirely novel, all of the prior probabilities, which would have been, you know, like all things equal, we should expect it to be kind of like this because it's not the only coronavirus. So it should be like the other ones and other, other, right. but no, all of that is like, no, we know nothing about this. So we have to start learning from scratch. Right. Oh, It's crazy. It was crazy. You know, I, I started
0: this pod well, podcast, video cast, whatever um, by myself. I was just, you kind know, of I had a lot of my Facebook, I've got, you know, a few thousand Facebook friends and whatnot and they're like we want to hear your thoughts and I'm like well i don't know if my thought anyway so i started this thing and i was mostly you know whistling in the wind and i was frustrated because the groups around me were all shouting me down for for contrary ideas kind of that their consensus was that i i was uh, wrong and wretched and so forth um but uh anyway it, it, it's been kind of a weird journey um you know ultimately to be right but to have been shouted down the whole time um has that um you know kind of impinged your life and 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 as far as your your work you know the the what you're pointing out with that single data point is, is i think highly accurate and in my field um of well i i came upon zika before covid um and uh i tried to work up a, a piece small piece on it and it wouldn't get published anywhere there, there's just there's kind of a a consolidation a congealing a constipation of thought and action which you know basically centers around the fact that the funding comes from one place. And we saw that, um, just as a side note, you know, with uh, the Fauci-Collins uh, memos that are now being uncovered about, uh, you know, quashing uh, doctors uh, Bhattacharya, uh, Gupta, and um, Martin Koldorf, um, and probably others, you know, about getting any contrary message. And so, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, my other work I've, I wrote on the uh, Omicron, Phenomenon and the fact that we still call it COVID 19, it's not COVID 19 at all. It's, you know, Corona 22 or whatever. And people have no thought and, and knowledge of the fact that coronavirus has been around longer than humans. And it's and so always been, you know, for I don't know how many years, uh, probably thousands or hundreds of of years, been, you know, one of the major sources of the common cold. Nobody ever mentions that. And then Omicron is frankly probably just a common cold and just another coronavirus. We happen to have a test for it now. So there's all this kind of factitious stuff and fallacious and, 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 and cherry picking the kind of narratives and data you want to pick just to make the way you mentioned the case fatality rate versus the infection fatality rate, um, you know, even defining what a case is. Was was misused one way or another in in medicine. A case of pneumonia is you have pneumonia. Uh, a case of COVID was you turn positive for a test, and then you could be completely asymptomatic. You'd have coincident coronavirus false negatives, to uh, me false positive, and or some other coronavirus which are you know extant in the population about you know probably five ten percent of the time anyway. Um, and 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 ignoring the the blatant data of the Diamond Princess, which was sitting out in, in Yokohama Harbor for a quarantine period. Um, and the data was, was completely benign and, and Fauci knew about it. He actually quoted in February. Um, but there were, there was this, this, this kind of turning point, uh, early on in, in 2020, where, you know, we had to like, uh, as Donald McNeil, in the New York times, the erstwhile chief science writer, global health, uh, reporter, um, announced we had to go medieval on it and, and why we had to do that and why we had to adopt the, the ethos of, of the, of the CCP in locking people down. And I mean, it's just... I, it boggles the mind. I don't. I don't understand what was the motivation. Um, we may never, but it wasn't good, <laughs> you know. And it, and it keep. I, we keep kind of circling back to the Soviet theme, but um, there are you know aspects of the the clamping down of, of, of free speech, the you know the uniform uh, consensus uh, opinions being being becoming science, uh, the way people are locked down and treated like chattel. Um, I, it's all very scary stuff. Um, Anyway, that, that's that's not a question, but but let me just ask a question, um, which is, you know, what what informs your um, sensibilities and what gave you the kind of the impetus to be, um, you know, a voice, and and how did you uh, verge diverge from some of your other work to uh, concentrate on on the COVID aspects?
1: I mean, yeah, I suppose I could argue that there's, I mean, there's two aspects of it. One, as an evolutionary biologist. Mathematician type, I deal with emergent phenomena all the time. So um, the idea of, of uh, seeing these kinds of mass effects and collective hysteria, we're just always looking for these sorts of things, and, and had all the hallmarks of it in in March ten and beyond of twenty twenty. Um, also, though I think even and I, know, I never considered this to be something that I was was part of my science per se, but more about my attitude towards how to be a good scientist. And I used to write things for my students about how to be aloof. And, you know, as a good theorist or trying to be a good theorist, it was important because when you're an academic, it's easy to get caught up in some particular academic field. You show up to their academic conferences. Um, You wanna be like Judy and Doug and they're like, they're gray a little bit. And they're they're like the famous, super famous people in this small fishbowl. And then by the time you're mid thirties, you've done a few things and people are starting to pay respect to you. The young men are like, sir, and the lady, their eyes and you kind of like then you suddenly only care about the problems in that field and the positions within that field and you want to rise socially in that field and, and all the problems in those other fields they're so they work on ridiculously stupid problems and you all make fun of their problems it's like the new york city map sometimes they make these new york city maps which is the whole earth filled up 98 percent with new york or manhattan even yeah, yeah and then, Steinberg. right and the rest is just sort of dust on the outside because that's all that really that's what happens to you intellectually so i always knew that um we end up with these little group things already just socially and i said i need to avoid that because all of my in order to get a new theoretical big grand unifying theory i'm not going to do it again in the same field i just was i got to move on and the only way you're going to move on if you is if you don't get glued to it cuz you're not often not even going to realize you got glued to it right you're just going to get stuck to it without realizing and not being aware so i've always had this kind of awareness but i wasn't really doing it for political reasons i was doing it for you know science reasons so it was a combination of those sorts of things where I really saw that this was this was a, a, a strange phenomenon going on in March, and the first time it really hit me over the head was my, when my CrossFit friends we were all working out outside because we couldn't work out at the gym, and some lady fifties stopped in her car, ran at us, say, "Who are you guys? Why are you working out together? Jim, are you guys coming from?" And she just she was aggressive snitch on the street, right? And you could kind of laugh because here we are, these strong people and she's not, you know? And who would you... But no, that's actually... that's like, This is dangerous. You get this times 100,000, not to mention a h- times 100 million, right? That's all that you need for totalitarianism because it's an, this is... Authoritarianism is one thing. But you end up with authoritarianism and, you know, tin pot, banana republics where each month there's a new dictator of the month and everybody in the street just goes... Eh, and they do their own thing, right? They can't right. convey their power everywhere. What's dangerous is when you end up with distributed, decentralized authoritarianism. That's what makes totalitarianism. And it only happens when there's buy-in by virtue of like a righteous new narrative or nice righteous new religion that's spread to the whole culture. And it's coming up bottom up just as often it comes up bottom up. And they're the ones who sw- swept in the new leader on their backs, right? It's, right. And it's, it's, Those are the dangerous ones because then it's your children and your cousins and your workmates and everybody and your neighbors who are snitching on you saying, oh, he had more than five people over at his house. You're not allowed to have that many.
0: Absolutely. That happened. And I think, I think I, I, first of all, I want to give you props for, for pointing out the difference between authoritarianism and totalitarianism. Jean Kirkpatrick, um, she was the, uh, one of the ambassadors to the UN, uh, brilliant woman. Uh, uh, She had an essay on this probably 40 years ago. um, And I. You know, I, I politics wasn't my gig, and it's still not my gig. Uh, but I really was interested in this because uh, she brought she pointed out that you know Franco in Spain was an authoritarian, and probably Allende or Ayende in Chile it was an authoritarian. Um, Mao was a totalitarian, and and you know all the Kims, um, uh, various uh, Kims in North Korea are totalitarians. What is the difference? In um, in short, basically. Uh, I think it's the co-optation of religion as uh, uh, as the state that the only thing you can worship in totalitarianism is the state and the message of the state. authoritarianism you know Franco allows the church church to be there uh, Agende allows the church to be there and and you can have a place in the solace um, that's and you're not all your beliefs are not centered on the the divinity of the state so, you know, one is and plus one is easier from which to exit than the other. So authoritarian regimes can flip. Um, so Franco gets old, dies, whatever, and th- then there was an underlying royalty which he didn't get rid of either. Uh, they get to take over, and and totalitarian uh, regimes they hang around forever. They can only rupture, and so the Soviet um, ruptured, and along with that, the you know various parts of East Europe and and your Vaslav Havel piece, uh, I think really talks about this this concept of totalitarianism and and clearly still, you know, as, as shaky and rickety and, and famine inducing as North Korea has been for its own people, um, it's still there, you know, and, 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 you know, if you ran a business as crappy as that, you wouldn't be. Um, so there, there is a, there's a kind of a, a, you know, they have to own your thought and your religion has to
1: be them. Um, but the key it, one, it, what allows them to do that is that it's almost, it's not just top down forces being pushed down from the top of course it, there is that too they're trying to maintain this but often the leader can can flip away they could be gone just somebody else is going to fill that spot and he or she is going to also be pushed up pushed by the same righteous narrative which drives all society forward because it's being driven by everybody at all levels in some sense it's really dominating everything they often have no almost no choice the new leader is just like the old leader and it, it so it's 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 so it's, it's, it's a very different kind of thing, glue. It's a social narrative glue that's that's permeated society, and it's a completely different kind of phenomenon than authoritarianism. Um, and so that's why I've devoted... So, I mean, in 2021, I, I started a research institute called the Free Expression Institute, or FreeX.Group. And the idea is to study free expression, freedom, um, uh, collective hysteria, these kinds of uh, psychosocial forces that have... Are the things that lead to totalitarianism and democide,s and genocides, and and minor and major ones. I mean, my family comes from Iran, and this is an everyday thing. My wife is from Iran. Uh, my father is from Iran, and uh, we never really ex- we, as in you and I from America, never experienced. I was born in America. We just think that it's you know Islamic types that deal with this kind of stuff, and Chinese and Germans and they're pretty strict and stringent, so that would only happen to the Germans, not other people, right? We yeah. say bullshit like this all the time, right? I mean, it's totally part of us knows it's not right, but I think part of us still sort of like, well, that's just because, right? No, it's it, those are the same psychosocial forces with different icing, and now for the first time, we in the West, outside of Germany, experience it. We really saw it, right? And 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 so we really need to understand it, research it, and then a lot of folks on my side. On the anti-lockdown side, still don't see it. They still see that this was all grand master plan by Gates and the WHO and Klaus Schwab, and they right. all. This is all. There's, they don't. They don't think in terms of 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 the collective dynamics that really right. is. I mean, so, are, so you're saying it's
0: not just co-optation, it's adopt ad adoption. You know, people ha- You know, it, it has to be. You know, the, it can rain in the desert, but the water doesn't take. The ground's too hard. So, what you need in order to grow, say, the totalitarianism, you're saying that you need a little bit of a, a an accepting soil uh, for the the raining uh, rain from the, the those who want to reign over us. Um, in either sense of the word, you know, they need to have a something that is recept receptive. So, if, if people don't buy in, you don't get it. Um,
1: right. and, and that's still kind of more one dimensional than I would one unidirectional than I'd like to say, because very often in a lot of these, even in the CCP, and let's 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 start with Boris Johnson. Initially, he was pushing back. So then we got to go for herd immunity. None of this, none of these interventions right. are going to work. A right. week later, there was so much pressure, bottom up, it's from both regular folks in the street as well as unions and all kinds of other forces, pressuring in a bottom up way him to do it. And even in the CCP, Ben Irvine is one of these people that have been arguing. Look, originally the CCP in February or January and February was saying, no, we we can't, we don't want to freeze the economy and do lockdowns. And I can imagine they actually didn't want to be the the it's. It, it, Running an economy in a master planned way, which they semi-kind of do, and pausing it. In fact, some of the first compadres anti-lockdown that I found in March before I met all of the wider folks were communists, capital C communists who knew you can't freeze an economy. They're really sensitive about this, right? <laughs> they ought to be sensitive about it. They're like, no, you can't go free. And so the CCP originally didn't want to, but there's a there's a backstory where the populists did get they sort of got themselves all into a fright. And they don't trust the government for good reason. So finally the government said, okay, we have to look like we're leading. And so they went out and led hard with lockdowns to look like they were in charge. Same thing happened in country countries across the world. And a lot of it was copycatting other countries, and a lot of it was bottom-up forces. And it was you know, Sweden, only because uh Tegno was particularly strong and their constitution prevents certain kinds of things that he was able to hold on. But there was so much bottom-up pressure trying to make them lock down. So it's it's both that it's it's it, The populace has to be wanting it, and but the, often the populace is itself forcing it, pushing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's an interesting thing. I think it's a little bit like uh, uh, kind of the the U drain in a toilet. Uh, you know, that if you if you I'm sure you know the the hydrodynamic concept. You know, pressure comes here, and then it kind of pushes and it pushes the pressure up somewhere else. So I think it might be bottom up to a certain extent, but I think the bottom up part is people getting things from the top, and and you know I. I'm always amazed that humans can accomplish so much individually and so much technologically, but you know, we are wired as as animals and probably a tribal animal and our, our natural milieu say that for thousands of years was tribes and not everyone's supposed to lead the tribe. And and a lot of people are gonna find, you know, I mean we look at fish and we think they're brainless, and maybe relatively speaking they are, and they school. So you know if you're you know snorkeling whatever, you, you'll see that you know one fish boom I don't know how they decide haul to go the other direction, but they do and now right. and then boom they're hauled back and they do it like with the blink of an eye um, I'm sure not, not sure whether their, their eyes blink, but with one of mine and boom and so th- it's a funny term for me that's the schooling. they call it schooling of fish. I don't know why but but this is a, an interesting coincidence because we school, but we tend to school boom, like that. We all think you know this and then five minutes later we all think that i mean if you had brought you know the concept today of kind of this uh you know castration or or um you know surgical um excisions uh, mastectomies for for minors uh five years ago ten years ago um you know you i think you uh, you know let alone 20 or 30 whatever when i went to medical school 100 years ago uh you'd be laughed out i mean you'd be it would be ludicrous you you know and and you know, but then the medical academy, schools. And, and it's a little bit, you know, to give uh, Mr. Tyson um, his, his pro, you know, his due. Uh, he, he's, he's right about that in science, you know, that people will act on consensus. And again, why they do it, whether it's the, you know, the funding thing, you know, uh, down or, or looking at your peers and wanting to school and not be outside the group. I think there's a reasonable aspect that if you're in a herd of deer, you don't be that one deer that's hanging around gets eaten you you know you'll have your power and a bunch of antlers can face out um you know kind of like the wagon trains or whatever you can circle and whatnot so there's protective aspect, and i think you know most of what we've seen through through this is that one of our big motivators you know le- leaving outside you know gamma rays and physics and all that kind of mode is this fear is basic fear and and that that's a huge um tool uh, you know, Archimedes said, "Getting back to physics, you know, give me a lever big enough, and I can move the world." Well, he didn't need it; he just needed like to to access people's fear.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, but it's one thing to make a a, a herd afraid; it's another thing to direct it. Uh, often they're going to do highly coordinated things, but you're not the one coordinating them, right? So this is, you know, one backing at one intuition a lot of folks that have that are the more master planner types say, "How could you end up with all the seeming coordination?" You know, and you can point to tons of seeming coordination right uh, how they all you know did the same lockdowns within the same week or so um, How could it all be coordinated in this way if it's not a master planner but uh, a seeming coordination is what you get for free. It is the standard example of what happens in emergent complex phenomena. Schools of fish are highly seemingly coordinated and they are coordinated but there's that seemingly in the sense of seemingly master coordinated right it happens through these emergent phenomena and there we have our intuitions for emergent phenomena like this are as bad as they are for quantum mechanics they're terrible right we're really bad at thinking about these things when we want causal when we want a causal explanation for something we want it to be a typical everyday world you know where it's billiard ball like a causes b causes c and that's just you can how you make sense of emergent uh, phenomena and so people are really bad at it so that's a lot of my time is Trying to make sure people understand the more Because if you get the moral of this wrong, um, then then you're going to attribute all of the evil that happened. Um, one, you're going to get only blame just a few gals and guys at the top, and you're going to miss there, there, a lot of those folks. Are they excuse? Well, oh well, Trump and Trump has his own culpability in this. He was the guy in charge, right, yeah. when all of this happened. And there, there's lots of leaders, world leaders, that say, well, they were lied to by these puppeteers, so we really shouldn't blame them. And I'm hearing them say this all the time. It's all just the blame. Like no, there's there's leaders at all these levels, all the way down to your county and city, that participated in this, um, and they are all culpable. And you're going to excuse all of them on the on the idea that there were these witches or demons that coordinated everything, and only they're responsible. Two, not only you're going to miss miss the right people, um, but you're going to miss the, make the uh, you're not going to learn. How to stop the next one because this is always going to be with us these psychosocial forces these tendencies towards tyranny fascism and tyranny will happen again and again each time feeling a little different and you're not going to recognize it as the same thing because it has different icing and you're going to fail to try to come up with ways okay how can we restructure social networks or do something that it can inhibit these so that they aren't you know have stronger civil liberties constraints or you know preventing emergency power all kinds of things that have to be on the table to figure out how to stop these but if you don't think it's about collective hysteria and it's just about those particular villains who master planet, then you're not going to be aiming to do any of that. Right? Uh, so that's what you know, that's my aim for free X is, is really trying to get folks to get it both sides to get it, because I think right now, of course, those that fell into lockdown or side are often still haven't woken up. They don't understand really what happened, that they were part of a mass hysteria, part of the totalitarian forces. It's really hard to explain that to them. But a lot of folks on my side really still don't get what they saw. They just want to find demons and just blame them.
0: Well, so what? what what's the prophylaxis? My, my um, aunt uh, is elderly and she's in a nursing home now. And, uh, you know, she votes. Uh, um, and like many in her cohort, um you know, she just turns on the TV, boom, and, and she listens yeah. to the talking heads and whatnot. Uh, people are, you know, it would be great if people found your free X dot group. Um, and it'd be great if they, uh, you know, <laughs> followed you on Twitter and so forth. And, but, but you know, people, you know, there, there's a, you know, I think you're a bright guy, a very bright guy and probably amongst the brightest. Um you know, the regular people are regular, you know, and, and, you know, for every genius, there's, there's somebody on the opposite side of the, um, uh, Gaussian curve, uh, the standard distribution and, and, you know, how, how does, how does one get the mantle of, of the, of persuasion and power in order to, you know, have the fish be schooled a little bit better? I mean, you can't teach the fish to go independently. Uh, that's not necessarily in their interest or their way. They're they're fish. Um, what, what's what's the possibility here? And what is, what has been your success? And what are your uh, recommendations? I guess.
1: Yeah, I lost you for a little bit, but I I think it managed to catch up. Uh, the, I mean, there's, I mean, that's that were this is a, I would call the trillion dollar question. So I don't want to try to to tell you that the, that I have a nice uh, pill. That I can offer. That's you know. But this is there's a whole lot of stuff, and I talk about this in 300 videos about different kinds of angles. But what I really want to first do is try to understand what these psychosocial forces are, how they work, and if we can much better understand how they work, then then we're in a much better position to try to figure out the liberties that you can inhibit them in the future. So you know, for example, one of the, the things that we often talk about narratives in a very intuitive sense there's this mainstream narrative blah blah blah, and they have this tendency to not ever go away like they just continue to move march forward and in the the case of the trans world and 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 children now the narrative is justifying things that were completely absurd even five years ago much less ten as you just mentioned right how is it that narratives do this and this is what what one of the things that i'm trying to understand and One thing I just wanted to point out is that actually it is a lot of similarities to blockchain. Now, a lot of people may not know blockchain in detail, but the key thing that's similar is this. If I've got cryptocurrency, I've got some Bitcoin and I want to send Randall Bitcoin. Right. And so there is no central bank that's keeping track of where I sent my Bitcoin. So I could send Bitcoin to Randall and then later I say, no, I never sent it to Randall. I still have my coin. I want to go send Doug now some Bitcoin. We have to prevent that. So how do you prevent that when there's no central bank keeping track of who sent Bitcoin to who? And the way that blockchain does the whole idea behind cryptocurrencies is that we have this distributed bank in some sense, that's keeping records, right. on everybody's computer everywhere, decentralized. And there's a certain notions of how you add new things that happened this week to the next week there that are being glued on in this mathematical sense, which is really hard to do, but what easy to recognize that you're the first person who did it's called proof of work. And, and there's, and there's also proof of stake. If I'm a big holder of cryptocurrency or of some kind, I may have a bigger vote as to whether that was the right new add-on because I care about, about the value of that currency because I've got a lot. So I w- I'm more likely to be truthful. Now that creates a history, like a narrative, like a, a history of the tribe of all the reputation transactions that have happened. That's hard to go back and ever make a new history. Now, the same thing has to happen in social networks too. So in real life, if I'm a jerk to Randall and I say, Randall, you don't know what you're talking about all the time, and I, it turns out I'm wrong. Well, I'll lose reputation to you because I was humiliated. But if later I say, no, I never lost reputation to Randall, right? And the reason I can't do that is because the tribe remembers and has added it to the social blockchain and says, oh yeah, no, now it's in everybody's heads that Mark was a douchebag and lost reputation to Randall. And in fact, the way that it's added is a lot, very similar to both proof of stake and proof of work. If proof of work in the sense that good gossipers are the ones that tell a new story about what Mark did consistent with his behavior and Randall's behavior and all the past history. And it's really hard to come up with sometimes a good explanation, but it's really easy to recognize, oh yeah, that's, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? So it glues easily and has the, the needed properties that are proof of work like. And also the gossipers are the, often the higher reputation folks are the ones more likely to be listened to in terms of what really happened this features are the features for why blockchain works and is is an immutable history that you can't mess with. And that's what makes it a a currency at all so that people have, it's preserved over time and you really have the, it has the value that you have because no one can muck with it. But it's the same principles underlying how our reputation currency has value over time. But that same method of preserving reputation currency to make sure that I can't lie about mine and how rich I am versus you is what also makes these narratives, social narratives, um, unbreakable. Once they get going, you can't just go back and say the last 40 years was all wrong. It's almost impossible to do. It's really, really hard. And so they march on. And then sometimes, um, for example, masks, totally, there's no reason to wear them in March and April. And then suddenly by May, everybody's totally has to wear them. The science changed. And so these, these are these are uh, that, what this blockchain narrative is part of this, but also the evolution of new kinds of signals. So also then get incorporated to these narratives. So for let, let me give you an example there. At first, no one wore masks, but by April, people that were more, more on the lockdown side, you might see a few here and there wearing a mask. It was a signal, like I take COVID seriously and I'm trying to do zero COVID and I care more than you. right? So they would wear that, even though the science didn't say to wear it at that point. But it became a reliable uh, uh, a membership signal of being in the lockdown caring tribe. It wasn't yet justifiably helpful, but invariably when there's first membership signals, then the community will over time evolve. People will come up with good justifications for why it's not just a membership signal. It's also good to wear, good to do. It's good. And this happens all the time, like even like in th- some cities, like there's one neighborhood where the, the ladies are rich and they all wear Lululemon to, to, to look like they're not trying But they're trying. And other neighborhoods will wear dresses all the time when they go out. They'll each make fun of the other for their different kinds of choices. And their own magazines will actually justify, well, well, Lululemons are really um, healthy for your skin. They let your skin breathe. And, and And it's better for your man to not see you always. Whatever. They'll come up with all bullshit stories justifying it that that over time become part of the narrative, justifying the membership signals as virtuous themselves. Right. They're actually good for you. And both sides do it. So this is not just happening for COVID. It's a very normal part of the process. Narratives in these movements evolve justifications, ethical and scientific justifications for the post hoc. They're post hoc justifying the membership signals they have and turning them into virtue virtue signals, that they're genuinely virtuous. So it's much worse, like you and your wife or whatever, someone in your your, your life, you do something wrong and you're going to be thick headed because you don't want to admit that you're wrong. And sometimes you can convince yourself that you were right, even though you're not. It's a trillion times worse when it's a movement because these movements, it's the whole community of folks who are developing sophisticated, smart, ethical, and scientific justifications for this post hoc, for the stuff that the community sort of just wiggled into. Yep. And, and of course it's right because these are highly smart people and it's a consensus because it's a whole lot of different people. Of course, it's all one thing. It's well, not- no, It's great. It's, it's, it's right. I mean,
0: people, you know, the worst thing you can be now is a racist. And the, 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 the central- um, fact of the United States was slavery, you know, notwithstanding that slavery was, I think, in every country on earth at the time, probably, and the United States was one of the first and through one of the most bloody mechanisms ever, the Civil War, the most fratricidal, um, near suicidal mechanisms, they got rid of slavery in advance of, say, Brazil and um, other places with far more uh, slave traffic and numbers of slaves and so forth, um, but, but that's the central Thing. And, and everyone here, you know, is very much on their high horse over that, validly so. Uh, but conversely, you know, if, if you were to go back to 1865 or, or consult uh, Dostoevsky about the, you know, validity of, of you know, aborting a child, um, you know, a, a baby within you, or, or to take away the, you know, the before, before the the the, the achievement of the age of majority, you know, take away the the uh, progenitive, uh, features of an individual, you know, reproductively, um, uh, you know, that would be child abuse and, and on either sense, um, you know, so p- people are completely acontextual about this and, um, amnestic and, a- and, you know, and historical and, and silly. Um, so, you know, you're, you're making interesting points, you know, about how we move and we're kind of, you know, maybe one big amoeba, you know, getting back to, uh, we were mentioning beforehand about Carl Sagan and Cosmos, you know, there's kind of always this concept that, you know, the, the atom looks like the solar system, you know, if you look closely enough and, and you know, people are always drilling down into all these uh, sci-fi stories that, you know, when you look back, our universe is just one little molecule in some other universe and so forth. But, you know, th- there's, uh, you know, there, there are ways in which we are kind of morphing, like a cell, like a huge cell, um, and perhaps we have a lot more coordination now through Twitter and tech and internet and whatnot um, to to act as a cell. Um, this this is a, a scary proposition because you know it's it's really the kind of the, the friction between cells and the competition between organisms that that allows them to ultimately succeed within their environment. I think this is a Darwinian concept. Um, Anyway, so the, again, that's another non-question, but is there anything there that in, interests you? <laughs> well,
1: uh, no, I, that, that was that was great. I, I But um, no, I didn't have a follow-up to that, yeah.
0: All right, so so uh, I'm gonna branch out to some of the things you do and some of the other pieces you have. I've been fascinated by looking at your books and whatnot. We are kind of rounding out the hour here um, and you have my apologies for talking too much. I I don't know, but well, maybe you can you know, think about some medication for me later, but, um, uh, I, I wanted to give people a chance to look at some of the, the breadth of your work so let me see if I can um, pull some of this up I, uh, I, I don't want to like throw this on people right off the bat but you know you've got some interesting entrepreneurial aspects here. Are you colorblind first of all?
1: Uh, uh, my father was but no I'm not colorblind yeah
0: uh, so I, th- these are some of my mark uh, Cengizhi, uh, um links I've been looking at. Uh, you have a Substack um, with some interesting stuff, you know, really across the board. Here's the Vaslov Havel piece I was um, mentioning. And uh, they're short pieces, and, and uh, you know, and you're and you on Facebook as well. Uh, this is, um, I just commented here, uh, what's all the commotion if we can only find out what the common chord is? I mean, kind of referencing Commodio Cordis. Um So you, you, um, Uh, that's the Vassal Havel piece itself, but you have a um, a homepage here as well, which uh, contact, you know, has your um, science moment video series, your Substack and FreeX. So I recommend people go to chungizi.com. It's spelled like your name, obviously. And then uh, there's a whole uh, shelf of of videos here. This is the the Grass Tyson one. And then just to kind of carry on, um, you have a bookshelf on Amazon. And some of these are really fascinating titles. I've not read any of them. I'm not going to pretend. Um, but uh, The Vision Revolution, um, and people can pause on these if they uh, like to. And um, uh, I found this one fascinating as a title anyway, How Language and Music Mimic Nature and transform Ape to Man. Um, so those are a little bit of teasers. Do you have any uh, comments on, follow up on where people should kind of focus their their thoughts on, on you and and um, pursue.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the one that uh, you didn't zoom in on, the most recent one is actually ex- expressly human. It's really the origins of emotional expressions, why social right. animals have emotional expressions, and it's sort of it's a 12 years in the making, it's a grand unifying theory for here's, okay, you're bright, you're a social animal, you don't have language, like regular old spoken language. What is this Base, what is the uh, kind of ex- emotional expression system that you have to have to engage in the kind of compromise and negotiation signaling that you have to do? And so you can just derive it from first principles. Here's the language of what it has to be. And in fact, it just works out to a, 41, a, a 81 emotional expressions in this sort of four dimensional space. And uh, you can just sort of see them all. And they're all the ones that you know and and, and how exactly it works and how it, it, how much reputation you're betting whenever you're doing in a particular kind of emotional expression. And it all kind of is mathematically beautiful, but also it's the foundations for free expression itself. Because all of the ways that we communicate as, as a species, we don't communicate as as stats people saying, oh, but Randall, the thing that I'm saying now has a p-value of oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah I think it has only a p-value of 0. 0.2 and thus not below 0. 0. 0.05 no the way we do it is by I say no I'm I'm really confident or do you know who I am and <laughs> or, you know, that I don't think your claim is very good I don't you don't know what you're talking so I'm showing disdain or I can be very respectful or, you know towards you or I can be humble myself and these kinds of combinations of these sorts of things and, and some other things I'm not mentioning lead to how we, Um, show confidence levels in what we believe. And the way that we do that is because if I say, do you know who I am? Well, I'm potentially going to be humiliated if I'm wrong. What I've done is I've shoved reputation chips under the table like in poker. And I've done the same if I say, you don't know what you're talking about, Randall, right? I've also potentially going to lose reputation. So that what makes us believable and what makes good orators uh, uh, believable that you're willing to follow them and believe them is because they aren't just saying stuff in a flat affect. They're saying stuff and putting reputation on the line, you're like, holy crap, they put themselves out on a limb. And it's exactly all of that, putting yourself out on a limb through these emotionally expressive intonations or your facial or gestures, whatever it is, everything that we do is all about that. And none of us are consciously aware of it. We all get it in our bones. And so that what this, this is the foundations of really how free expression works. But so that's what this book is about it. But and ironically, for two years, I was censored by Twitter, still censored by YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. Right. And you know, now we know is by the federal government doing this. And so I was the first lawsuit, First Amendment lawsuit. Uh, Michael Sanger, Daniel Kotsen and myself with the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Uh, we were the first suit to come out. We were dismissed after that. The Missouri and Louisiana district attorney ones had more information, more leaks, more FOIA requests. They've now gone farther. They went to discovery. We have appealed. We've got seven uh, uh, FOIA, uh, uh, amicus briefs in our defense or uh, not right. admitting they're in our defense, but they are really basically- Yeah, they're, co- they're co-writers, defense. yeah. Yeah, and uh, so we're we're hopefully uh, gonna do better now on appeal. Uh, and, uh, but uh, yeah.
0: So just so, so on a personal basis, uh, what's, what's uh, What's your source of income, if any? Um, how how has that, you know, changed during COVID? Uh, what did your um, bravery uh, accomplish on in your social sphere?
1: Well, you know, it certainly wrecked the launch of that of expressly human. You know, it's a sixth book, a dozen years in the making, and during the time that it launched last summer, well, I was suspended. From Twitter altogether. I mean, well, I, actually, by then I was back in, but I was treated as sensitive content. So if you went right. to my page, you just saw this is uh, sensitive content. And most people couldn't even figure out how to get around that. Um, so I was like a porn star status or something like that. And uh, so uh, all of my, you can actually just look at my impressions over time. And then in, right when Biden was saying, hey, we're going to start censoring, or is, you know, a Jen Psaki, my impressions started to fall, fall, fall. My number of followers leveled out and then just sort of. Stayed level for for uh, two years at, under sensitive content until Elon Musk um, finally uh, brought me out of it. So that book, effectively, the book was censored, not specifically censored, but if I'm censored and I'm unable, well, I get it.
0: No, to, absolutely,
1: that book is censored. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I got I got booted off LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago with no yeah. no warning, no strikes, no, nothing. It was just one day. I'm and I I use LinkedIn quite a bit. And I enjoy it, um, but on a total you know non-political way, just for business stuff and and whatnot. And then just, they just pulled it right. And, and I couldn't even appeal to because there was it was like, like it was it was like a cruise ship. You, you showed up two hours late to get on your your cruise ship. There's no boat there at all. There was nothing. There was no way of, uh, you know, contacting. There's no way to get on nothing. And I had to go, you know, complain on Twitter. And and they, they you know, they answer the I, I guess the squeaky wheel gets grease, And they they gave me a, an appeal place that I hadn't known about and they had not forwarded to me. And I, I asked, well, what's up with this? And they, they said, oh, uh, you're uh, spamming You're I don't, whatever. It's like, show me an Evans. Give me, give me. I, I don't, first of all, I don't do that. I, I'm like, I, I'm not the most polite person on earth, but I stop it, you know, stop signs and, and whatnot. I don't go on anybody's LinkedIn profile. I don't say it anything.
1: Like, it wasn't even a COVID or political related claim. They were just claiming you were spamming. They're, they're-
0: well, what I, what I had been doing was I had putting, I had been putting videos like this. Yep. Um, my content has been pretty much this. Um, I do, you know, one or two, or a couple of these a week, and I, the ones that I think are reasonable for business people to hear, uh, I put up there, and that's that. And um, you know, some of it have been problematic for YouTube and whatnot. I mean, what, at any rate, I, you know, you you get close to the flame, you 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 get burned a little bit. But you know, but what I what I only pretty much have, you know, smart people, credentialed. Um, not that credentials matter much anymore, but. You know, smart people who make sense, who are analytic and have a lot of data and, and, and whatnot to say what they're saying. I don't have anybody, you know, coming on and saying that, you know, elephants can fly or anything like that. And and I, I don't know, somebody, my feeling is that somebody didn't like that content and then said, I'm spamming the world, whatever. You know, you get the idea. It's sure. kind of like, you know, and, 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 you know, I've had so many similar occasions to yours where the, the woman came and yelled at you when you're outside. Uh, I was once walking I walk the dog all the time and I was walking the dog in the middle of the street during the, the, the scariest parts of COVID and a woman was on the sidewalk. She was a good 12 arms like breathwise away from me, excuse me, 12 feet breathwise, because I was in the middle of a quiet street and she was on the sidewalk of a quiet street and she was wearing a mask. I wasn't. And she looked over at me and and she's about probably 68 or whatever. And she just went she had this terror look and she just kind of recoiled. And, and there's a little tiny berm of, of grass about a half an inch big and she wound up tripping on that. So she fell over and I went over to the, you know to help her up and she was like, you know like I was a zombie and if if I touched her so so I'm like, okay is there anything you'd like me to do?" She's like you know she couldn't even gasp out like yeah. go away or it was it was the saddest, most pitiful thing yeah. and, and she didn't get hurt. She got up from the grass. She went on. But it is. I mean, if you can't find a bigger metaphor, like a, a more interesting metaphor for the whole thing, like she's in a world of, you know, you say, I'm going to put you in a world of fear. Well, she was in a world of fear that 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 was her world. That's her fear. And and, you know, was it backed up scientifically data wise? No, but but but, and, you know, was she an expert on covid two years prior? No, um, but she was there. And that was real for her. And I'm sure I looked like, uh, you know, the Joker and Batman. I mean, it's just crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was the yeah. frightening time. Yeah. Yeah. It's just in terms of finishing up. I mean, just a lot of people want it just to forget about this and move on. And a lot of people that want to forget about it were, were drawn in deep. And um, don't really even want to admit to themselves that they were drawn in deep, and they kind of just want to move on. And, and I think they're just they're getting a little sick of us continuing to talk about it. But um, I'm wondering if they, you know, this this wasn't the Rwandan genocide. You know, I don't want to say it was, but it was scarier in only this sense that it was much, it was worldwide. Yes, you know? I agree. That's great. Yeah, not to it. discount any any. Uh, I
0: forget who was getting after who. I guess the. the Tutsi were going after the Hutu, or the vice versa. At any rate, but to not see. to discount any of those, and so forth. And, th- and there's horrible things that happen all around. But but this was kind of in all the world's happy places. You know, everyone was like, oh, things suck here. I want to go to New Zealand. I want to avoid nuclear apocalypse. I'm going to go to New Zealand. Whatever. Yeah. Like you know what? You 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 can go, but you can't avoid humans. <laughs> you can't avoid human folly, uh, and that's really sad. I mean, oddly enough, you know, the Faroe Islands um, did better. Than uh, the New Zealand Islands, um, I don't know why, um, but but it was a very happenstance arrangement. And I again, I've I brought this up a number of times. But the, you know, it, the, the the what I call the cloud within the silver lining within the cloud is that um, you know we did the silver lining. We saw flaws in our 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 um, kind of governmental systems. We think the parliamentary system is all hunky dory, but the and and obviously within the cloud of COVID, so that was the silver lining. But the cloud within that is that you know. We, we don't necessarily see any way of changing these things and the parliamentary system is is democracy but, but democracy has its problems in, outside of a constitution, outside of a republic. and you can have the tyranny of the majority. and, and that's what happened that you have temporary insanity if, if, because you have total party control within the parliamentary system. there's no you know the UK and, and Australia and New Zealand don't have I don't think written constitutions. they have this this common law and the common law can be uncommonly stupid from time to time. If there's a way of abrogating uh, the the vagaries of their rulers at any given moment. Anyway, um, so I'm going to give you a chance to final do final thoughts, and I want to bring up my uh, you know kind of self promotional commercial about my book after.
1: Well, just in terms of the things that may have worked, I'd say the only two things that I have more respect for in the United in terms of governmental structure is, and I have a lot more respect for is federalism. So just the separation of okay. powers. Uh, yeah. That the, sorry the each state is not only uh, its own uh, government, but also culturally they're, ins- they're somewhat insulated. They uh, have their own little thing going on. So you can have a collectivist area going on in a neighboring state that, and you may be able to avoid it. That kind of 50 little different experiments was I think the saving grace in some sense for the United States. The other, and it didn't really save the United States, but still the two-party system Um we, you know, we're stuck in this kind of very polarized two-party uh, system here. And I, usually we always complain about it, but I think, you know, in March and April, everybody, left, right, and center, especially in March, was all on board for. And I was so disappointed. Is why I spoke up. I was like, these supposed libertarians. I'm a libertarian. All of them were still saying, no, it's totally good to lock down and even mask for justified. Reason magazine was writing p- pieces, and uh, it's the e- even the uh, the civil liberties. Uh, what's this? The the thing, ACLU. ACLU was on the wrong side. If they spoke up at all, they were on the wrong side for two and a half years. And so finally then they've, they've been on the right side of something, right? Everybody was on the wrong side of it um, and, and uh, left, right and middle. But still a- about a couple months later, the typical left, right polarization kind of reformed again. And you had the right disproportionately anti-lockdown, anti-intervention. And so I think that from the, you know, from my point of view in March, April, I felt like it was only 3% of the population was on my side, but for free, for no good damned reason, I end up inheriting now 47% of the population who just want to be on my side, because that turns out to be when it, when it settled out to left, right, they're like, oh, I'm right. And that's the side that ended up on that. So I'm going to take up and say, okay, well, I guess I'm happy to have them for no good reason, because you just need bodies in some sense. So I think that you know that might actually be helpful to automatically create um, an anti-polar to whatever the current collective hysteria is. It it's sort of splits it into half. Right. You end up with a counterbalance.
0: Right. Well, I, you know, th- there's no better capitalist than those who who suffer through communism. I think Winston Churchill said the longest uh, pathway. I, I'm paraphrasing because you might have been talking about some other diff- topic, but you know, the longest, most difficult, uh, painful, murderous pathway between. Um, capitalism and capitalism is 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 communism, and uh, you know so, uh, you know whether people spanked can get away from that or whether they have Stockholm syndrome and they start to love their 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 tormentor, I have no idea. But I'm not going to leave that there. Uh, the other silver lining of the COVID thing is I get to meet people like you. I would not have been doing this uh, videocast. I've not been you know doing frankly much of this. I had been started the the Zika book beforehand, uh, but it would have been the context of the last great pandemic without this one intervening. Anyway, let me just um, pro- give myself my uh, shameless self-promotion here. Uh, this is my book, um, uh, you collectively, and uh, not necessarily you personally, Mark, but um, might want to take a look at it. Uh, it's called Overturning Zika. I have my picture on the front of the book, as you can see. Uh, that's me in the morning. Um, and this is the pandemic that never was. This uh, It's been blotted out um, kind of eclipsed i guess by by coronavirus uh all things covid um but it it, it has a, it's it, it's interesting because it, you can see it from a distance uh the exaggerations and so forth uh, and you know so i i wrote here uh well i uh, thirst was made for water inquiry for truth i think you and i share that uh to see as i came i saw a Concord zika my god i disappeared but nobody noticed um so I recommend people buy it. That you can help support my podcast, my work uh, by doing that. Uh, leave a review, especially if it's a good review. Um, and uh, even if you didn't like it, you can leave a good review. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, thank you so much, Mark. You can hang around and chat for a minute. Um, and we're going to say goodbye to everybody else.